This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm your host, Sabrina Furminger. And if you're a regular listener of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, you know that we do not shy away from discussing issues of social justice, particularly how they relate to Black people, Indigenous people, and other groups that have been repeatedly sidelined and abused by white supremacy and systemic racism. These discussions are built into the DNA of YVR Screen Scene, because when we don't talk about race and have real discussions about racial inequality, people die. So that's why we're back today in the middle of our two-week hiatus with a special episode to talk about race and violence with a woman who has been unafraid to have these discussions in her work and online. I am talking about Nicole Lear. Nicole is an actor, a producer, a director, and an activist. She's African-Canadian. She's currently in L.A., Nicole's been working in the industry for a while. She began her career on Edgemont, but it was Black Chicks, the gut punch of a short film that she executive produced and acted in that put her on my personal radar. Black Chicks was written and directed by Neil LeBute and features Nicole's character having a brave and incredibly jarring conversation about race with an older white man played by David Cubitt. Nicole was nominated for a Leo Award for her performance, and I remember it so vividly because it showed us something we don't normally see on screen, a frank and honest conversation about race and racism in cishet relationships. And Nicole is only just beginning. She was recently nominated for a Leo Award for her work in, I believe it's a score to settle. Am I correct? Right. Yeah. yeah. In which she acted opposite a little independent actor called Nicolas Cage. So over the last few days, while millions of people around the world, including in 140 American cities, have flooded the streets in peaceful protest, heartbroken and enraged by the death of George Floyd, yet another unarmed black man murdered by a white cop. I've been watching Nicole's Instagram live videos. She's been talking about the protests and about Black Lives Matter and answering questions from her white friends and non-black friends of color. She's also collaborating with friend of the podcast, Farah Aviva, on her Bite the Bullet stories. Nicole shared a story about her own experience with police violence and harassment that took place in Canada and yes, as we've covered in many, many previous interviews with black actors and actors of color, yes, racism exists here in Canada, too. Please Google Regis Korczynski Paquette for a start. She's the tip of an iceberg of racism in this country that extends back before our country's founding. So today, I want to talk with Nicole about the intersection of race and the film and TV industry. I want to talk about her collaboration with Bite the Bullet Stories and why she shared her story as she did. And I want to talk about what she's seeing at the protests in LA and the feelings she's carrying to them and away from them and where we're all headed next. And just to note to everyone, links to any resources or organizations that are mentioned during this episode will be listed in the show notes. Nicole Lear. Hi, welcome to the podcast. 
I just want to thank you for saying what you just said, because I think a lot of people are having an understanding that they know that they have something in their heart that they really want to do. Hmm. And I think I just want to commend you on doing your research because you're doing it. And I want to make one change. Um, just we don't have to change it in the editing or anything like that. But to the beginning, it's not um, just us. It's the white people that actually have to fight this fight. Because if you think about it, think about the vision of me doing this. Now you do it. And if you hold up the black power fist, the white person holding that up, that is the important part of this fight hmm. is we're letting you guys know that we're in this together. Um, so I just want to commend you on your work and on that intro, because I think it says everything so articulate. And I do agree a hundred percent, except for, I'd like to add that this is an every person problem. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're, if you're white, you have to do the research and then it's up to you to fight this fight, um, yeah. together. So you, you're, you're a part of the, the good stuff. Well, thank you. You know, I, I will say, um, I, I was asked a few years ago to host a panel because I am one of the, the few film and TV journalists in Vancouver. And, you know, my father is South Asian. So they're like, oh, that's a person of color journalist. Let's get her to host a panel about. Uh, and at that time, it was the experience of African-Canadian actors in the film industry. An incredible group of, of actors were in that. But this is like from four years ago. I mm. did not at that time, know how to talk about race. And I thought that I was, I was woke and I think my heart was always in the right place, but I, I did not know how to talk about it. I didn't, and I didn't know, I don't think I was the right person in that moment to host that kind of, of panel. So I have to, I have to disagree with you. You were the right person because you were trying and your heart was definitely in the right place. And people still, the calls that I'm having, for instance, I'm going to tell you, and I'm not going to be naming any names, but I've been having calls last night, North Carolina, um, the night before London, England, um, Ireland, Vancouver. I'm getting calls from our community saying, Hey, Nicole, you know, we worked on a show X amount of years ago, and this is an experience, but I'm a white person and I don't know what to do. Yeah. And my response is, first of all, thank you. I'm very grateful that you guys are reaching out. Keep doing that and keep having those tough conversations. But also everybody, including myself, you have to look in your heart and find out what are you willing to do about this? Mm. How much research are you willing to do? And then once you have the information, you don't need to call me <laughs> to get the okay to do it because this is this is happening. So if you get the information and you're like, oh my God, I really feel I need to speak out, start speaking out. And yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not pushing anybody to, you know, come to bite the bullet or even come to the podcast. Speak out to your grandmother. Mm. Speak out to your neighbor. Speak out to the person who lives next door that you've always kind of like, hey, I, th I saw something and it felt kind of like not right or that off the cuff comment. I'm talking to um, amazing people, um, a beautiful coach in Quinnell, BC, mm. where I grew up, where I was one of probably two black people. And that community has a huge problem with, unfortunately, the Native Americans and police brutality. Yeah. So it's you really have to decide how much do you want to get involved how educated do you want to be and how badly do you want to make the change? Because this thing is so deep rooted yeah. in our community. Um, for me, I'm all in. Um, I'm willing to die for this and I'm willing to go all the way. I'm talking to people in North Carolina. I'm finding out that in these little churches, um, there's church, Christian churches that are um, dealing with this. And I'm very, very proud of some of the bigger churches like Hillsong who are speaking out. The churches are a safe haven and the forward thinking churches who are doing the work, who understand that they also have a responsibility. Once you do your research, and I'm just being really diplomatic, if anybody's listening to this and they're like, I have family in the South and I need to talk to you, I am here for everybody 24 seven. But you know, there's one comment that somebody brought to me, for instance, in, in some of the churches in the South, it's forbidden to marry a black man. 
forbidden to marry a black man. Let's just take that in for a minute. So we're in the middle of fighting for our rights with everything we have. And I get a call, um, nobody knows, but from somebody from North Carolina who is a woman, a white woman, who's texted me and said, hey, I saw your comment. I feel really nervous. I'd like to talk to you. And then she tells me that anybody, any white person who's speaking out um, is getting their house burned down. So I feel very safe. um, But, you know, you guys have to understand this is really really deep rooted. And after the, the protests are gone today, we had some wonderful news. All four men have been um, taken in. However, the fight is not done. And you're going to see some things now that you guys are going to be questioning and keep calling me, keep calling other people, keep talking, because now the problem is we have to make sure that they get the sentence they deserve. Yeah. And we have to do the work with these communities that have not changed. This is not, it's not over. It ain't over. Yeah. Sorry, I'm very long-winded. I appreciate you listening. That's one of the steps we all have to take. Thank you. One of the the things that has been important for me, so when I had hosted that panel, I was the only uh, journalist of color working for the outlet I did. Um, And so, like, as I said in my intro, it's since starting my own outlet, it's been important for me to elevate and amplify voices, to um, to put my money where my mouth is. Like, yes. you know, we've had Omari Newton writing for us since the very beginning. And I have more artists or writers of color joining the staff I want to train up. So but what I've I've noticed for for myself and what I encourage my listeners to always do is that this is a journey. And the only way, you know, and I was so scared back then to have those mm-hmm. conversations. But, you know, the only way you can learn is if you just you just start talking and you try and then you do that's what the part of the work is um Nicole I just there's so much I want to talk about with you and when we're able to talk in person in the future I I would love to host you up in my studio when you're back in LA um I'm in LA now Oh, sorry. When you're, but when you're, if you ever come up to Vancouver again, yeah. you're in LA yeah. now. I don't yeah. even. I'm. I don't know where I am. I'm in Kitsilano. I don't know if I'm coming. <laughs> We're going. all in the middle of a big, uh, a big justice fight. That's where we are. That's, That's where we are in the middle of the justice fight. Yeah. But um, I, I meant what I said about, and I watched it again this morning. I watched Black Chicks again this morning because Neil has shared it as one of his, you know, films that he, you know, he's he's sharing. Uh, it was during the pandemic, and then I think he moved this one up, uh, the queue just to make sure it got out there because of everything that's going on. Um, that was a film that I'm assuming was made in Vancouver, in a city that my experience has been that we, we, the bigger we as Vancouverites don't know how to talk about race in a film and TV industry where we don't know how to talk about race or we're learning. Um, so so can you tell me... And I have, yeah. Yo, I was going to ask about like what, what, I mean, cause I saw that you were an executive producer on the film and I, I mean, I, you could tell that it was made by a very small intimate group of people. Uh, so I, I'm really curious about why you did that film, why you did that role and, and what, what you learned about Vancouver and our film community here by working on that film. Yeah, I'm so happy you asked that. So I, for anybody listening, I'm just speaking from the truth. So I'm going to tell you guys the real story. Um, (laughs) The real story. (laughs) It is kind of actually. So my, uh, Brendan Ugama is a cinematographer and he co-owns my company, Black Tree uh, Pictures, Black Tree Pictures. Excuse me, I'm very tired, all the calls, but I'm very happy to be doing this. Um, he was at the time working on Van Helsing, which is an amazing show um, that is fully um, in Vancouver. And he came home and he said, oh, I'm doing this new show and I'm working with Neil. And I blew a massive actor's fit the entire time I had been in L.A. Um, working at a studio, working on the play Black Chicks, um, just because it called to me. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I was like, you, you don't know who Neil is. <laughs> like, well, he's my, he's my showrunner. He wrote the show. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand because Neil is somebody for, if you're an actor, please go out. I know mm-hmm. that all of us in Vancouver know who Neil is, but he's a man that uses his voice mm-hmm. and he speaks whatever it is that is on his heart. And I'm very proud of him. And he has many, many amazing plays, but this was a play. So 
I did something very naughty and I don't encourage this at all, but, um, Brennan then went, um, into work the next day and I went in his laptop on our desk and I found Neil's email. Ah, that's so naughty. I love it. I love it. I that's tenacity right there. And I <laughs> messaged Neil and I said, dear Mr. Neil Abute, um, this and this and this, I was wondering, I just wanted to let you know, um, you know, I'm working on this play. I would wonder if you'd consider, you know, having a conversation of us doing this in a short film. And I sat there for like, so, cause it's, you know, that's not professional. That's not the way you're supposed to do things, but it weighed on my heart so heavy this. And if anybody hasn't seen the film right now, I have it live on my Instagram. It's free. There's nothing. It's just there. And it took, I swear I was shaking 20 minutes. And I think I went and I just went, you know, one of those where you just hit send really fast. Like, fuck it. I got to do it. I got to do it. And I just was like, oh my God, what have I done? And I started to go down that cycle and it just popped up instantly from Neil. Sure. And that was it. And the next weekend we shot the film. And so, you know, Neil and David. Hold on uh, a second. Sorry, Nicole. The next weekend you shot that film? Yeah. Yeah. I need to lie down after that story. That is. So I had already, I, I have to really thank somebody in that process because if you're in the Vancouver community, I really want people to be supporting David Cubitt. Mm. Um, if you watch the film, you will understand that his work in this film is continually and amazingly brave. Mm. What he did with his acting, what he allowed to do, the facilitation that he provided. Um, I cannot say enough about how important is it is in our Vancouver community. If you don't know who David Cupid is, go watch Black Chicks and then send that brother some love mm. because a lot of people would not do this project. Another, A lot of people would not be willing to say those lines. Um, and also for those of you watching it, I'm not going to say too much because it's a film that you just have to watch. You have to experience it. And it's only 10 minutes long, like just an yeah. FYI. There, we're, yeah. there's a, we're probably going to talk about this film longer than its actual length. <laughs> but it's like it stayed with me for years. Like it is a gut punch of a film. And you're don't I mean, you're don't that. talk yourself down because you are I'm marvelous. Good. I'm wondering what you thought about my character. So I'm not going to ruin it for people who haven't seen it. Go watch it. But I just want to ask what you thought about my character when you watched it. What did I think about your character? Like, did, you, did you like my character and like not like David's? Or did you like David's and not like mine? What was your, your takeaway? I really liked your character. <laughs> um, I felt like, and I, I, I felt like David was just saying all of the ugliness that people don't say and that you're and I'm I didn't even realize it was from a longer place I'd be interested in reading the play it's not that's the whole play oh that's the whole Um, thing okay okay good good all of those lines in two days or seven days we had rehearsals that he learned it all I had already been rehearsing but there's there is such ugliness (laughs) but it's it was almost like your character was saying things that your character in the world might not ever say out loud and then you know asking questions that are never asked and David was his character was saying things that would never it would I don't know it was almost like I felt like I was seeing some like internal monologue that like almost a fantasy kind of thing and can we also take it a moment because I mean you did kind of jump over the fact your partner in your company Brendan Uagama is yeah. like one of I mean if you watch Vancouver shot high-end TV I mean you've seen his work and his work in this film in particular is just, it's a beautiful film. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm really, I'm really honored that I'm able to work with Brendan. Um, he's doing amazing shows, you know, Riverdale, Katie Keene, Child's Play. He's working out in New York. Um, he's working in LA. Um, we have a new project that's coming out. I can't say too much about that, um, okay. that we're working on right now as well, but we were very lucky. And what I love about the cinematography of this project, what Neil and Brendan, um, did Neil directed Brendan shot it is it's black and white. Yeah. You know, we shot it really high end. We shot it. And then they're like, you know, there's another layer of stuff we can put in for the audience, mm. you know? So I will say about the characters though, did you notice, um, there's two ways if you just watch it, but maybe watch it one more time. If you have the time, no one has to do that if they don't want to, but notice how hard my character pushes David. Yeah. David's character, like how hard she pushes and is 
though are those thoughts his thoughts or is he saying those thoughts just to please me and what does that mean about my character that i would push somebody you know it's just interesting so there's like small things and i think that people need to just you have to be really smart when you watch it because neil's writing is so next level there's so many levels there. yeah yeah um <laughs> What was some of the uh, what What was some of the reaction that you received to the film? I mean, you know, beyond I mean the the critical acclaim and the the nominations and stuff. Like, what were some of the discussions that you heard around the film? Was there anything that surprised you about how it was received? Yes. yes. So we this film is not a new film for us. Um, I believe it's is it five years five years ago we made this film. I'd have to check. It's been a minute. Yeah. It's been a minute. And so I was like so excited because I felt so strongly. I'm like, people are going to finally watch this. They're going to understand. We all got ready. We sent it out to all of these festivals and then nothing. Um, no festival, Vancouver festival. I love them. I know that there's a lot of different films. I'm not saying they have to, but literally in the entire world, Nobody really picked up our film. There's a few lovely small festivals. Um, I, Oregon Festival picked us up. Uh, Holly Shores, one of the films in L.A., picked us yeah. up. And that was about it. And then we would get letters um, back just saying, hey, we really love this film, but we don't feel like it's appropriate. They were uncomfortable to put the film in the festivals. The only... The only acclaim we got from that, from this, was actually in Vancouver with the Leo Awards, and so I am so proud um, of the Leo Awards. I, if you are anywhere in the world and you don't know what BC is doing, how they're honoring their artists, um, they, so they were the head of the game. So now this is happening and we're re-releasing Black Chicks because now it's on point. Thank you. People weren't even like, <laughs> people weren't even, I was like, you guys, like I made this thing that you might want to check out, but no. No, but now it's getting the watches. So we were just a little ahead of the no, curve. You know what? No, you know what? <laughs> we weren't ahead of the curve. People weren't willing to accept, you know, even the title is triggering. And I, I, I understand that. And that's why I'm doing my job here, having any conversation with anybody that needs to talk. Yeah. Because until we have these difficult conversations, nothing's going to change. So, yeah. What I what I that, what that gets me about what you said though, Nicole, is that like they were uncomfortable. Like the disc- what is art if not there to make you feel uncomfortable? How will any change come if there's if we don't embrace the discomfort? Oh, like I've sat with that discomfort for years since I saw it. Yeah, <sighs> you know it's really interesting. I am talking with um, a beautiful, amazing challenging um young man who is 32 um he is a slight um kkk supporter and he is a trump supporter and my conversations are with him to try and make him understand that i'm fighting for my life and so people are all over the world you know they were taught this what we're talking about what we're fighting for is you think about when people were brought over as slaves and then the masters unfortunately i have to use that word Mm. they taught their sons and then they taught their sons. And then there was change. And then they taught their sons. And now what we're seeing, what we're fighting right now, what we're fighting against is slavery, the yeah. leftoverness of, of that. And so I am not turning anybody away. I'm having these difficult conversations and they're exhausting and my body shakes and I cry and I try to tell them that I'm seeing it with my own eyes and I try to um, say, hey, you're my friend. These are like people that we all know. Um, and so I don't defriend all of them because, you know, there are some wins. I had a, a one person in New York who's an amazing person. And now just think about how much hatred, if you were taught that, unfortunately, and then you didn't know any different or you did know different, but then you were educated and then you're like, all of a sudden you're so woke. And this young white man in New York is like, what are you talking about? And I get texts from him. He just texted again. He's like, hey, what is this? What is this? Is, do you really feel this? Is this what really, and there's, so there, some people are changing, but mm. they're so, the conversations are so hard. And so that's why I believe in talking and that's why I believe in speaking up. And that's why I believe in keeping the conversations going. And, um, wow. yeah, it's hard. It's hard. What role do you think that, that art and that film in particular can play in all of this? 
I think it can help people start talking. Me and Neil talked about that. And I, I was like, we need to release, we need to release. And he had, he's working with another producer, Tim, who's amazing. Um, and he's like, yeah, I really want to. He was like, of course, right on the same page. And I was like, I think that my comment was, I was like, maybe it'll help people start healing. And he's like, I don't know about that. He's like, but it's definitely going to get them talking. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And he's right. Because you watch his writing and you watch David's character and then you watch me be so uncomfortable <laughs> You know, like it's awkward, like you feel bad and then you're like, why should I feel bad? And then there's a change and you see her try to get to the bottom of it and you see her be, do it relentlessly and yeah. maybe, un- you know, she's yeah. not, the character is not exactly, she's not perfect, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Can we talk a little bit about Canada? We're a Canadian yes, podcast based please. based in Canada here on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Um, where do I begin yeah. about racism in Canada? Because, you know, I mean, so I have a brown father, I have a white mother, and a lot of my white family for the longest time, they would be the ones to be like, I don't see color, um, and they totally see color, and, you know, they have the privilege of... of of not having to see it when they do and they will get really upset for the longest time about saying like you know well there's racism here well no we're multicultural and everybody can come here unfortunately not yeah so what what do you think that that white canadians or non-black people of color because you know i've been really going after my my south asian brothers and sisters recently um about their own racism uh specifically towards black people. Um, what do you think that they need to learn and internalize about the experience of black people in Canada? I think that what do they need to learn? Um, can I be bold? It's gonna oh, be oh, yes. <laughs> can I be bold? I think there is a small... I think your question is interesting. So you're asking what South Asians have to learn about blacks and their experience in Canada. I think that question, I think what the question is, is how can we all make sure that racism and justice is served in Canada? How can we all, it doesn't matter Mm. your background. And I am very aware that unfortunately our native American people in Canada, um, they're one of our hugest supporters I, they marched with us. They are staging us. They are here. Like I'm getting shivers talking about them because in Canada, um, the police brutality rates in their community, but we are saying right now, yes, we understand that all lives matter, but we can't change that until black lives matter. Mm -hmm. And that's why all of these different communities are coming out and supporting us. I talked to a lawyer from New York who is um, saying, I just want you to know the Jewish community is standing with you and we are with the protesters. Um, So maybe you want to ask me the question again (laughs) in the, now that I've said that, if I could be bold, I don't, I'm trying so gently, but I'm like, it's not, that, no, be know- bold, because I've. I honestly, I feel. I. I mean, I've. I've talked to some American friends, including American yeah. friends who work in the industry, uh, up here in Vancouver now, and the, and they'll say that it's frustrating for them as Americans yeah. up here, like yes. working in Canada, to talk to Canadians about yes. race that Canadians yes. don't know how to talk about know, race. Yes, and do you know what the you know what one of the biggest frustrations I'm having, and I love you, Canada, I love you, but you need to. Get Get your big boy and your big girl panties on and get on this fucking thing yeah. because everybody and excuse me I don't know if I can talk but I really want to get this point across and I'm very we're gonna have to edit this swear word out no no <laughs> no we have we have one of those parental advisory explicit things you can fucking no, say whatever the fuck you fucking I, want no I just think like <laughs> I can't push the people away but Canada if you are listening listen to me now and listen closely do not call us in America and say I'm so sad what's happening in America Don't call me and say, hey, do you want to get a ticket home? Wherever I go, this problem will follow me. And if you don't realize that it's your problem, you're a part of the problem. So put on your big girl panties, put on your big boy panties. Canada, I'm talking directly to you. I'm not saying like I'm here. I'm literally talking to Canada. Please, we need you. You guys are trying. I know you're doing your best, but it is not an American problem. It's your problem too. I haven't got the facts, but I have um, somebody had told me 
um, that there's meetings in Toronto that happen every year that are police escorted. If those of you who know what I'm saying know what I'm saying, you can do the research. I'm not going to say anything. I haven't seen it with my own eyes. I have heard. Um, my call is to people. I know you're not here on the ground. I know that you're watching the news. I encourage you all, unfortunately, to go get an Instagram or a Twitter and follow independent people that are broadcasting live. Um, mm. I know that there are different people that I feel, this is my opinion, um, a conversation that I'm having with a pastor way, 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 way up in the interior of BC um, that is saying, what are we supposed to do? That He thinks that the government and the police are good and that this uprising is bad. And he's probably sharing this with his congregation and they're having conversations and they're just trying to understand, you know, but they don't have the access. Mm. They're not down here on the ground. They can't see, and they're just doing the best they can. So we need you Canada and we need you more now than ever. You have to not only do this, but you have to set the example because the American people we're we, we're not in this together. This yeah. is, you know, they're marching in France, Germany, London at night during the day. I work with you guys. I work with Canada and the U S during the night. I I'm not sleeping, not because I'm not taking care of myself. I'm very, very much taking care of myself, but because this is a worldwide issue and I can't stop North Carolina, South Carolina at night, um, New York, early morning, London. And I don't need to do this. You can do this. The person who's listening to this podcast, who is in the interior of BC, you can do this too. Hey, I'm a white person. I just wanted to talk to you. What are we going to do? That's all you have to say. Yeah. And I love the support. I'm very proud, but this is my call to action for my friends in Vancouver and Canada. This is my call. Sorry, we're getting emergency alerts now. Uh, this is the second one now. So they're changing. What is it? 10 p.m. to 5. 10. So is it changing? Sorry. I'm so sorry. No, no. So they're moving the curfew time from 10 p.m. until. So what's happening with the 10 p.m.? So this is very weird. Um, I want to keep this in if we can. This is very Absolutely. weird. What's happening with the curfews. So the first couple of days, they would just send the curfews out randomly. Everybody's phone would go off randomly. Curfew, curfew. And we were like, okay, well, how are you supposed to? LA is a very big city. If you're trying to abide by the curfews, you're trying to get home. The next day, they would send one out. They would say uh, curfew was at, what, 6? Mm -hmm. 6, 6 p.m. till 5.30. Then literally two minutes later, they would change it. They would change the time. And then an hour later, they would change it. But that would mean that people were in cars. And then you're seeing arrests. You're seeing brutality. So there, I, I'm just giving you guys the information. I, these are things that I'm experiencing firsthand. So what's happening today, which is different with the curfew. Um, this is the third or second. second. This is the second curfew we've received today. The first one said that it was at 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. So now they're pushing the curfew back. Now they're saying 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. If you're doing a curfew to keep a city safe, why would you keep it at 10 p.m.? And why would you move it from 9 to 10? So I am encouraging you all to start doing your research. Um, can I share one other thing? I know I'm talking, but this I'm feeling really called to share this one thing. Please Honestly, share there. We have no time limit here. You know, I know that you have stuff that you need to do, but please, please share whatever you need so to I say. Wanna, <clears throat> I want to talk about the looting and the rioting, and I want to talk about the peaceful protesting. And I'm very emotional about this, but I want to explain something. And I want as many people, if you hear this story, feel free to share it. If you would like to contact me to talk to somebody else about it, feel free to do that. But this is what I have to say about it. A lot of people all over the world are saying that the looting is bad and the violence is bad. And I in no way, um, I'm not a supporter of violence. I will start with this story. Imagine being a black man, say a six foot two black man that lives in, let's make it easy. This is my neighborhood. Let's make it easy for y'all. Let's say he lives in Compton. Let's say he grew up in a family where he never even got to finish high school and he had no money for education and he's been in the working class his whole life and he's done whatever he could do to put food on the table for his family. 
Imagine living in a home where you live with your grandmother, your mother, your brothers, your sisters. Nobody moves out, not because they don't want to, but because they don't have the money to because the system isn't helping them. Imagine you've been fighting racism for 300 years of generations. Your great grandparents may have even been slaves. Imagine that every day because of how dark your skin is, you're treated worse than a dog in the streets, in America, in Canada, all over the world. Imagine all you know what to do is take your fists and physically fight. You don't know how to maybe read or write. I'm not saying that we don't have very educated people. Right now I have my amazing writer sitting right across from me doing all of the work while I'm on with you guys. But there are some people that they need to be physical because it's the only way. And not only that, artists and actors, you know what it's like to have a physical release when you're angry, when you're fighting for your life for something. So I will put that out there and I will say, imagine if there were only peaceful protesting. Imagine if we were sitting out front doing yoga out of outside the White House every single day and there wasn't this uprising. People would get bored. People would go home. People would not see change. Yeah. I'm not saying these things are right. I'm not saying that these things are safe. I am saying, think about it. That's my story that I want to share, that I want to encourage you guys to think about that. Yeah. Should I add anything, Indy? I just have Indy. Indy's my writer and her family, you know, she's amazing. Her, can I tell them about your dad? Mm -hmm. Her dad is, a, um, was, excuse me, um, in respect to him, was an NYPD cop. Indy is my sister. So imagine, you know, that feeling like you are also fighting for justice, but like, that's your, your dad, you know? So there's, I can't speak on that too much. That's her experience. Yeah. But I just want to say, we really are looking in our hearts to do the best we can. And I don't think the people are getting it yet because yeah. if they were, you and I wouldn't have to have this conversation. Yeah. I don't think they get it yet. I don't. Uh, we here in Vancouver have had one gathering yeah, protest. Yeah, and I was yeah. so proud. I was so proud. It, it was a it was a beautiful socially distanced turnout at the at the art gallery, um, but I know that in LA, I mean, you you're out there every day. And I had mentioned this in the intro about you know what emotions you are carrying with you to these protests and and what you are leaving with. So marching for your life is dehumanizing. Yeah. Imagine marching through the streets. It's you know, it's hard and you want to, you know, you have to, you feel called to, sometimes you don't want to go and we're all just carrying each other to do the right thing to get the changes that we need for basic human rights. People are being killed by cops. The numbers are outstanding. I hate that this is what it has taken for us to start to take a responsibility. Going to the protests, my heart breaks. Yeah. I see angry men of all different races. I see massive amounts of white people trying to help to do the best they can. I see the Native Americans trying to support us. I see the Japanese marching in the streets. When I'm marching, I sometimes bawl and I get angry. I'm sometimes happy. Hmm. I'm mad at what the cops are doing. They're um, bringing, I, I honestly, from what I saw, they'll come and then there'll be a photographer that takes all these pictures. And then when it's time to take a knee or take a silent moment or march with us, they're disappearing. Hmm. So they're trying to front like they are trying to help us, but they're not or else there would be a change. Very proud of Flint, Michigan. I don't know if you guys haven't seen that video. I'm very proud of that, I'm very proud of the conversation where we're trying to speak from our heart. Can we say what the video was? You're talking about the yeah the sheriff so, marching with yeah yeah. So in of course in, in in different churches and different places, these are their brothers, their sisters, their families. So they're you know they know that they have to get behind this. So in a small town like that, he's of course he's marching with us. His best friend is saying. You know, he doesn't, his best friend doesn't even have to explain it to him because these are their neighbors. These are because they're, they're a lot more together. 
Whereas for us, and everyone is trying their best, they're trying to understand it. Um, yeah, so that cop just wanted to say, like, we need to walk together. Hmm. And I stand with you in this. And he was doing it in solidarity. And one of the reasons, um, I know you all think that it's really cheesy, but one more posting. Imagine the power of a hashtag or an at symbol. Every single thing I post, I, I, I tag um, not every single thing, almost everything I post, I will say at LAPD, at New York PD. Imagine if you're a police officer and you go to your page or the person who's running that page or you just, you know, I I know it sounds cheesy, but I believe that if you can't go out to the protests, if you're in Canada, social media is a tool right now. Mm. Twitter is the best one. Everyone knows that Instagram is run by Facebook and you can do your own research on that. Um, but it is a tool. And it is a way to use your voice. You don't have to do that. Like I said earlier, everyone's doing the best they can and, and protesting in different ways. Yeah. Um, and I know that, and I, I don't want to keep you for too much longer. Uh, oh, you're my, I know, I know about. that you are talking to people all over the world. Um, and so I'm going to include a link in the footnotes for this episode to your bite the bullet story where you shared, uh, an experience that, that you had, I, I, and I'm going to have Farah on as well at some point to talk about, um, nice. the, the project, but you know, I've, I've bitten the bullet to speak out against, uh, xenophobia. Um, I arranged for Amanda tapping to bite the bullet, you know, uh, in about the aftermath of me too. And, yeah. uh, and you know, so I'm not going to, I'll include a link to that. Um, yes. but I'm really can you tell me a bit about your uh, your collaboration with Bite the Bullet yeah. Stories and also what motivated you to share your story in that way? Yeah, so um, please check out uh, Bite the Bullet Stories on Instagram and take a look at the work we're doing. What we're doing is we're asking anybody who has had an experience to bite the bullet and we are focusing on, unfortunately, po police brutality. And I hate even saying that because what we saw was murder, but yeah. that's what we're focusing on. And also injustices. A big part of the stories that I'm interested in hearing is if you were in the legal system and you didn't get the, the proper proper assistance that you needed. Yeah. Um, I want to hear those stories as well. And we're also asking, and not just the brothers and sisters, and this is my call to action again. Are you in Canada? Are you somebody who is a white person who saw something? Do you need to bite the bullet and say, hi, my name is Joe, and I'm biting the the bullet because I'm going to re-educate myself. I want those stories too. And so I'm really trying to show that all of us have to bite the bullet. I just shared a beautiful story. Um, his name is David. We shared, I believe Farah is out today, mm -hmm. is out today of a man, um, a beautiful gay man. He turned 68 this week and he's been pretty much protesting his for his life as well. Yeah. You know, there was huge, huge protests. The gay people, the LGB community, my LGBT friends have been holding me so closely to my heart. Yeah. I'm not saying the fight is the same, but they they understand what it's like to fight for human rights and yeah. they shouldn't. I'm sad about that as well. Yeah. Um, so yes, any that's what we're doing. We're highlighting stories of police brutality and injustices and we're asking anybody no matter what their background is to contact us and speak out and share yeah. your story and use your voice it's a very beautiful experience to uh to shoot with farah as well and i knew that for in my experience you know i had i knew what i wanted to speak out about and you know i i had my I, clothing that i got in india and i got all done up but the experience of shooting with her and putting the bullet between my teeth and just staring like staring at her it was it was very powerful for me, you know, I, which yeah. I wasn't uh, expecting. Like, what experience did you have putting the bullet between your teeth and staring so down Ferris' camera? Yeah. Well, actually, we don't because it's still the pandemic and all of us are, we all believe. Most so it's of a self My team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We believe in science. So we are trying to do, you know, the protesting is necessary. So we're making small sacrifices. But what we're doing here um, is we have uh, Brendan here as well that's doing the pictures. We don't even have, unfortunately, the her bullets. We're going to do that after. I have a necklace that I just happen to have yeah. that has the end of a bullet. So we're using that, and they're just selfies, so everyone is safe. Um, that was great. 
Yeah. So Farah, yeah. <laughs> so so Farah's um, made that happen. She's directing all of this, and I'm very proud of her. Yeah. Um, if anyone doesn't know, Farah is this gorgeous um, little. I don't know her exact background, but she um, is a the white girl that is like a model, and she has just given her platform. She's like, uh, uh-uh, you know, and that's the kind of stuff. And yeah. like you, you've given your platform over, and that's part of the the work. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it, it's, so sometimes I, there's so much work It it can be hard to have hope, but where are you holding on to, where are you finding your hope mm-hmm. these days? Where are you finding your, your to, victories? Yeah. What yeah, I'll tell keeps you, you going? Um, I, I do believe we are going to win. I do believe we are making some really great change. You always have to have hope and it's hard. There's so many times, so many, you know, I've had different friends that are, they're holding me up, but I do have certain people that I trust and I'll be like, I quit. I quit. I'm done. You know, I get off those phone, the the phone with those conversations. And that's just the ones I'm sharing with you. Like these calls are lovely and they're the conversations we have to have, but there's even more of them that you even know. Um, they're really, really hard conversations. And sometimes, unfortunately, they will attack your intelligence. They, they say different things. I mean, I will, I will read from a text that, um, Indy and my team were just working on. I'm not going to say who sent this, but I will say that this is a conversation that has been going on um, for more for about a year that I've been trying to work on this. You guys are hearing about the work I'm doing now. This is the kind of stuff so that I'm getting. So this person, I just want to cover the name. This person has texted me this saying that this is what I need to read. Oh, okay, so can, we're an audio podcast. So you're showing me a picture of a. You can read it if you feel so comfortable to do so. Just moved. Oh, you've oh, moved it. Just yeah. moved it. Sorry. Down. Down. Thank you, Andy. So I just want to make sure that no one can see, just you can. Yeah. Wow. So it's a Ku Klux. It's a information for the Ku Klux Klan. Um, yeah. So this is the kind of stuff. And underneath this is the text to me. And this is an ongoing conversation. I'm trying to say, like, you have to understand, you have to, you have to denounce that stuff what the text is that reads underneath it. You will clearly um, read it was an organization created to fight against the Republican Party. Is that confusing? Not confusing. That's awful. Um, Here. What is this? Nicole, if you truly believe this and you read this information, you would... (sighs) This is really hard. You'd be a... Republican, like a moth to a flame. Another moment. This is me. This is, and then, so you guys are hearing the rough stuff. This is what we're trying to do. This is how I'm responding. It breaks my heart that you're reading this stuff. I will read to only try and understand your point of view, but you have to understand that as your friend and as somebody who, um, um, somebody has been killed, if you saw somebody get killed the way George did, for instance, if I was killed, I go on. I know that you love me as a friend. I know that you're trying to be my friend. We've been friends for a very long time. I know that you understand what my people are fighting for. I know that you understand that be- people are being treated worse than dogs in the streets. How angry would you be? How can you not try and understand? I'm begging you as a friend, let's open our hearts and try and find the middle ground so we can make the world a better place his response to that. Imagine if you saw me getting life imprisonment or death in Africa for being gay. My response, because I was, this is about two, three hours and I can only take so much from these extremists. Um, Can we please continue this conversation tomorrow? I'm in tears and I know that you're okay. And I know that we have to talk about this. The LGBT community is standing with us on all fronts. I believe that something happened to you and I want to help you. That is why I reached out to you. Um, And so it's been going back and forth. We would like block each other. I couldn't talk. And then I reached out the first text. 
for me was, Ethan, I know how upsetting things are for you. I'm actually texting you back to see if we can talk. I know that we blocked each other last week and I have some really big conversations that I feel like we need to have. I know that you disagree. I really don't want to lose you as a friend, but we have to try to figure this out together. Wow. It goes on and on. I don't want to like, I can literally. Yeah, but you that's are, doing oh, the I work, wanna, right? Like I, I just, I just want to add this one thing that the response is, you yeah. are in no position to label me or to talk to me about this. You are thugs. You are the rioters. <clears throat> and it goes on to support Trump. Um, then it talks about Obama. Um, it's just, I don't think people quite, I hope people who listen to this will now get it and maybe they'll have their conversation, but I just don't think they're quite getting it yet. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. (laughs) I know what you're saying. And I welcome you to come back to the YVR screen scene podcast at any time. I hope we are able to share space. Uh, either down there or or up here. Where can our listeners find you and follow you on social media? I think that the safest place for me that I'm using right now um, is Instagram. Yeah. I'm trying to just do the video calls through there. I'm not very comfortable giving out my phone um, just because I am getting yeah. a few different things happen. So just you can contact me um, on Instagram. Um, maybe we can just put it in the link below. Yeah. I'll include all um, of your social media, your public social I, media links. Yeah. 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 And I just want to say thank you to what you're doing. This is the work. And I know that everybody has their own way. I know that everybody really is trying their hardest and you have done a huge thing. This is, you know, this is a huge thing. So it's a huge thing and it requires a lot, all hands on deck, right? So hands on deck. Thank you, Nicole. Um, Please, to our listeners, check the footnotes for this episode. There's going to be a whole whack of links to all sorts of incredible content there. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. You can find more than 90 additional episodes of the YBR Screen Scene Podcast on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can keep in touch on social media at YBR Screen Scene and by email at sabrina at ybrscreenscene.com. I appreciate you all very much. And because it needs to be said, and because it can't be said often enough, Black Lives Matter. Thank you. Hiring professional performers makes all the difference to the success of any recorded media project. Did you know that the Union of BC Performers, ACTRA, provides agreements for all budgets and types of productions, including commercials, TV series, and movies, feature films, from big budget to Canadian indies and student films, animation series, video games, web series, and even streaming video on demand, like Netflix? For instance, our highly successful UBCP ACTRA ultra-low-budget agreement encourages and facilitates artistic collaboration between professional performers and independent producers who wish to produce very low-budget or even no-budget productions. No matter what your budget, we've got you covered, and you too can benefit from UBCP ACTRA's award-winning world-class performers. So, if you need actors, voiceover artists, stunt coordinators, stunt performers, singers, dancers, puppeteers, stand-ins, background performers, ranging across any age or demographic, then just contact us at UBCP ACTRA. Make your project the very best that it can be. This message was read by a UBCP ACTRA member. Go to ubcp.com for more information.